Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome once again to London Family Centre. If you're joining us for the very first time, you can join us every Sunday morning for the unforeseeable future, hopefully not too long, here on uh, Facebook at 11 o'clock. And thank you to all of our members, especially thank you to all of our members for pulling together so well over the last month or, or more in these incredibly strange global circumstances that we find us in. Thank you for being patient with us as we transition into a whole new world. A quick reminder that the meetings this week are as has become normal. <laughs> Wednesday, the text in on WhatsApp for the prayer meeting. Friday, LIW is on Zoom. Saturday, the young adults meet. You can talk to Michael or Johanny regarding that. And on Sunday, the children meet in the evenings. In the morning, the service is on Facebook at 11. And in the evening, the children meet. Uh, you can contact Juliet for the exact details of that. That's on Zoom also. For about, um, I suppose, for about five or six weeks, I, I, I have been receiving from people in different nations videos about the end times, videos about the mark of the beast, this person says this, videos about Donald Trump and Bill Gates and vaccines and everything under the sun. And a lot of Christians seem to be very spooky, a bit spooked out, a bit scared, frightened, uh, in the wrong way, I have to say, uh, about what's going on. And they say, well, they're asking me, what do you have to say about this? The first thing I would say about it is there's a lot of videos circulating. There's a lot of background noise going on at the moment. Some of it is, quite frankly, crazy theology, just pure sensationalism. And you need to be very, very careful of that. And thankfully, there's some also quite biblically sound. But I would say to you, follow the advice of Jesus. Do not get unsettled in these times, but let God continue to be your anchor and your hope, and let the Word of God, the Scriptures, be your focus and your reference point, not YouTube, not Facebook, but yes, the Bible to be the reference point for these days uh, particularly. Uh, but let me open uh, some kind of commentary today, because I think I have the responsibility to do that for your sake and for your stability in, in terms of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Let me speak a word to you at this time, specifically because of what the world is going through. I want to ask you a question. <laughs> what convictions do you live by? What convictions is your life, your home, your family established upon? Just, just pause and think about that question for a moment. A conviction, let me give a definition. A conviction is an underlying belief in a principle that is so strong that you will not change your commitment to it due to the circumstances or the consequences. I'll repeat that. A conviction is an underlying belief in a principle that is so strong that you will not change your commitment to it due to the circumstances or consequences. In some ways, it's a bit of a strange word. In English, at least, and in the Western world, at least, uh, to my knowledge, there are three principled uses of the word conviction. The first one, the most common one you hear, is if someone is convicted of a crime. It means they have responsibility for that crime. It is attached to them. They're convicted. 
The second use is, 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 is more pertinent to what I'm talking about today. And a conviction refers to a deep inner principled belief, a, a strong belief that you hold personally. The third use is one from Scripture, actually, where it talks about the Holy Spirit comes to convict us. And that's found in John chapter 16 and verse 8. Uh, it, Jesus says this, But verily I tell you, it is good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Three things that the Holy Spirit is sent into us, sent to the world to live in us, to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's an interesting point because you can see to, to, to some Christians who don't have any convictions, and yet they say that they have received the Holy Spirit. There's a definite contradiction there because the Holy Spirit comes to bring what? Conviction. Conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I'll come back to that later. So one of the, the real signs that someone actually has the Holy Spirit is that they are a person of conviction. And in these days, I would say it's, it's, it's a particularly good starting place for us, as you will see in a moment, is to just pause for a moment and examine what convictions we have. I would say, there's, as I look at the world, I look at history, there's probably three types of people with regards to convictions. First of all, there are, there are those who have no convictions at all. A good example of this is Moses when he had the, the, the people in the wilderness and he went up the mountain, right, for, for 40 days and 40 nights and the people were on their own in lockdown. They were in quarantine. And if you remember, Moses went deep into the presence of God, communing with God, but the people during lockdown did not. The people didn't hold to the convictions that he had taught them, he had led them in. Instead, they moved away, if you remember, and they built themselves a golden calf. They changed their principles for life. They changed their convictions because of the circumstance they found themselves in. There was a big difference. Moses was a man of conviction, but the people were not. So first of all, there are those who have no convictions at all. Secondly, I, I would say there are those who are driven by false, deceptive, and downright evil convictions. I think, I think of suicide bombers. I mean, what drives a person to, to, to strap explosives around themselves and go into a public place where ordinary people, it's not a war situation, ordinary people are walking and just blow the whole shopping center or whatever it is to kingdom come, that there's a deep conviction driving those people, but it is a false and deceptive and evil conviction. So firstly, there's those with no convictions. Then there's those who've got the whole thing very wrong, and they have been deceived in their commitments. And thirdly, thank God, the Bible talks about those who have received the Holy Spirit and have been convicted of sin and have been convicted of the righteousness of God Almighty that can be imparted to us and are convicted that there is actually a judgment to come. So I want to get all of us, all of you watching, get our feet firmly on the Word of God 
and conscious of the Holy Spirit and let God convict me of the principles that I should live by in these last days. Have you ever been having a conversation with someone and everything's hunky-dory, everything's nice, you're enjoying a cup of coffee, you're talking to them or whatever, and suddenly you say something. It's almost like you put your foot on a mine, you know. You say something and the person just changes. The atmosphere changes. The last time this happened to me was, was actually in Singapore last year. I was sitting talking with Jerry David and we were, it was break time. We were just sitting having a cup of coffee together and talking. The atmosphere is lovely. But I just happened to mention the, the debate about gun control in America. Now, I'm well aware that this is a very emotive issue. I'm not stating any personal opinion. It's not my concern. But I, the conversation just went that way. I tell you what, <laughs> Jerry, who's so laid back, he, his whole persona changed. His posture changed. He sat up in the seat. The tone of his voice changed, his countenance changed, and he was looking at me and he began to talk about this debate about gun control. I thought, whoa, 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 I've stumbled in to an area in which you hold a strong conviction. Hallelujah, I say, because you need to be convicted of some things. You should be able to find that part of yourself in the right sense. So what, what is it that lights your fire? What is it that sets you going when you're in a conversation? What is that thing? What are you deeply convicted about? There's a very good example of this in uh, the scriptures, in the book of Acts, chapter 3 and chapter 4. It's a famous scripture where Peter and John are going up to the temple and they come across a crippled beggar. Listen to this. I, I want to put read these scriptures in the context of conviction. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame for birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said this, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And I, I just want to draw your attention to those three little words. What I have. And what Peter and John had was a rock-solid conviction that Jesus Christ has got the power and the will to heal and a solid conviction that he was going to do it through them. Hallelujah. Amen. They, they continued this conviction through, if I can go to Acts chapter 4, verse 5. This caused great upset around the temple and with the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so were Cephas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, here's his conviction. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a, a man who was lame, and if we are being asked how he was healed, then know this. 
you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Let me skip forward to verse 18. Then they called them in again, the Sanhedrin called Peter and John in again. Then they called them in again, and they ordered them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I see great conviction in Peter and John when they met the beggar, that they knew what they believed, they knew in whom they believed. Then that when they were challenged um, by the Sanhedrin and by the leaders and by great consequences, they still held to these same convictions. May God help us get in touch with the Holy Spirit inside us, and may God grace us with the faith and the courage to live by the convictions that God Almighty makes us aware of within ourselves. I believe this is a critically important point in the last days. I will continue to explain. Stay with me. My first point then this morning is I, I think it's important that we differentiate between convictions and preferences. They are very different things. A preference will change with the circumstance and the consequence. A conviction will not. A conviction will stay based on principles. C uh, preferences are based upon choices and uh, like it's very personal. Like, I like coffee, you like tea, whatever, but convictions are much, much deeper things, much more serious things. A good example of this is in Daniel. If you remember when they, 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 they were from, for, forbidden for praying, Daniel chapter 6 verse 10, you're not allowed to pray and Daniel hears this, this edict that was issued and this was his response in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Once again, Daniel, motivated and operating on convictions and principles, not responding to circumstances and not being pressured by those circumstances. So first point, don't confuse your preferences your personal preferences, in some, cases, in some scenarios, preferences are absolutely fine. But when it comes to God's word and God's will and, and, and uh, doctrine, theology, it becomes a very different, very different business. So number one, there's a difference between preferences and convictions. Number two, my convictions, probably more than anybody else, reveal who I am. It's by your convictions I know the real you. By your convictions, I know the inner you, the, the, the you that God sees, the spiritual you, the essence of you. Good example, King David, when he was in the cave and Saul comes in and David has his sword and he has the opportunity to, to kill him. David knew that he should be king and here's this despot in power. So David doesn't kill him, but he does cut the, the corner off his robe. And scripture says this, David was convicted. David was convicted in his spirit because he knew that he shouldn't have touched the Lord's appointed, the Lord's anointed. He had done something wrong. That little insight shows us that this truly was a man after God's own heart. We understand what he's like 
by his convictions. In the same way with Abraham. When Abraham met Melchizedek, Abraham a very wealthy man. He could easily have been proud or haughty. But if you remember, Abraham was so, his life was so established on the principles of God that he tithed to Melchizedek. He wanted that principle to be upheld in his life. We see Joseph when he was in Pharaoh's house and Pharaoh's wife begins to chase him around the house. We see him run away based on conviction of what was right and what was wrong. We see more recently Martin Luther when he had great revelations from the book of Romans. And he saw how the, the teaching of the masses in the world was, was so warped and misleading that he went to the church in Wittenberg and he nailed his, his 95 thesis, it's called, to the door of the church. And when he was challenged, he, 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 you know, they said, you have to stop doing this. You can't deviate from the theology that was being pumped out at that time, which was partly error. And, and his response was this. It's a great response. He said this. Here I stand, I can do no other. Here I stand, on these principles, of, of these principles, I am convicted and I cannot deviate from this. Here I stand and I can do no other, I will do no other. My convictions reveal who I am. Your convictions reveal who you are. You know, as I was preparing this message yesterday, um, one thing just came, hit me like a steam train. And it was my father. And the convictions on which our home and our family life and our interactions within the home were built. My father was a, a very gracious man, a kind and gentle man, but also strict on some things. There were principles that operated within our home. And I want to say a word, you know, that growing up in that house has shaped me more than anything else in my life. Those formative years, those young years, I left when I was 17. But the impact of the disciplines in my home from my parents, the impact of a principled father, the impact of a man who was convicted of what was right and what was wrong has shaped me, I hope, until the day I die. It certainly affects me today, every single day. And I want to say to the parents, please think about the structure of your home. Think about what are your children seeing and witnessing every day. Do they see you as a principled leader? You can be in Jesus' name. Do you have even a thought to this, my, 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 my stepdaughter, Jeanette's eldest daughter, Rachel, when I visited her in one city, I think it was Bristol, where she lived, she had a plaque on the wall in the kitchen where you're going to see it constantly when they're eating and when they're going for a cup of coffee. It's right there in front of them in the kitchen. And it's the rules of our house. And she had 10 or 12, I think it was, rules about how we interact with one another. She's got six children. <laughs> how we're going to love each other. How we're going to reconcile when we have differences. It was a home based on principles. And I want to ask you, parents, please consider have a think about how your home is affecting your children. And if you don't have a, a family constitution, as it were, why not develop one? If you're a couple or if you're a single, put, put it on the wall of your house. This is my apartment and these are the principles that will be applied to you know, within these walls, as it were. 
don't abdicate that. <laughs> you can't abdicate it anyway. There, there's some responsibilities you can't just give to the church. Oh, it's the church's responsibility to, to raise my children. The church will help in any way we can raising your children, but we are not the parents of your children. You are. Uh, and there's a really important point there. There are some things you, you just can't pass over. Joshua, what did he say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a very personal point being made here. You fathers have the responsibility. As for me and my house, the apostle Peter, when the Sanhedrin challenged him, he said this, as for us, we're going to stick with our convictions. As for us, and I would say to each father listening, each mother listening, get together as couples and pray for a new constitution for your family. I'm saying this for a reason, because difficult times will come. Difficult times are going to come on this earth. And I, I want you and I want your children to have firm rules to live by in the troubled waters that are up ahead. Firstly, there's a big difference between preferences and convictions. Secondly, my convictions absolutely reveal who I am. And thirdly, my convictions actually set the course for my whole life and beyond. They put me indeed like the waves on a sea. They, they, they will give me an anchor in troubled waters. My house is the, the, the parable of the, the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. When the storms came, when the end times began to have some traction in our lives, we will have to have our lives built on principles, biblical principles and biblical convictions so that we will stand with them. I just paused for thought yesterday about a few key points that I won't go into in any detail, but they're interesting and they're beneficial. Listen to this. Convictions remove confusion. As a pastor, one of the most common things that I see causes trauma in people's lives is confusion. They're confused about their direction, confused about what's right and wrong. Convictions bring clarity. They remove that confusion. The second key point, um, convictions remove conflictions. You can be convicted or conflicted. And quite frankly, some members, even mature members, can come and ask you questions that they should never be asking. Why are you asking me if this is right or wrong? This is obviously wrong, but you're not convicted on it. And so you're conflicted in my workplace about what to do with my husband or wife or children. Confliction can be removed by having conviction on biblical principles. Another key point, convictions are essential for ministry, absolutely essential for pastoring, for evangelism, for, for teaching, uh, and particularly for worship, I have to say. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Convictions are important for effective ministry. Someone may come to me and say, oh, Pastor Mike, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a worship leader. I know that I'm called to be a worship leader. Please appoint me. Give me the title and the position of a worship leader in your church. So I say, okay, okay, here's the mic. There you go. You're the worship leader. Off you go. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> What's next? What's happening now? And the answer is, if you haven't got a conviction, you're not going to do anything. All you're going to have is a title and a position, and you're going to be dysfunctional. You're not going to function because you're not driven by an inner conviction, a call of God. Do you get it? 
So convictions are important. You should really, in some senses, be led by those inner convictions that the Holy Spirit brings to you because that will give you your overall direction. That's my third point. My convictions set the course for my life and beyond. And my final point, my convictions, your convictions are absolutely going to be challenged. They're going to be challenged by people. They're going to be challenged by the church, perhaps. They're going to be certainly going to be challenged by the world. And they're going to be challenged in these last days. Let me say this. Not everybody is going to get you. Okay? If you're a principled person and it vexes you like it did Noah in his days, as the days of Noah will be the last days, if it vexes you to see the world and even the church sometimes going so terribly wrong, let me, did, I mean, did, did they understand Noah? Nobody understood Noah. They all rejected him. They laughed at him, in fact. Not everybody is going to get you. Not everybody is going to understand you. And I don't want you to get stressed out by your own convictions. You don't have to live, get up each day thinking you have to explain yourself to everybody. Oh, oh, the next time I see him, the next time I see her, I'm going to explain. I didn't mean it this way. I didn't mean it that way. Don't just resist the temptation to let your mind play those games with you. Live by your convictions unapologetically. And don't let it confuse you. Don't let it confuse you. And don't let them, whoever them are, out there in your work or your family, don't let, 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 let them drive the agenda. Let God, God understands me. God understands why I do the things I do. God understands the motives of my heart. That, I'm sorry, but that has to be enough. Point number four, my last point. My convictions are going to be challenged. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that in the last days, there will be a great falling away from the church, that people will abandon sound teaching and sound doctrines, and they will move away to what their itching ears long to hear. We are definitely in these days. And I'm sorry to say, but it's going to be a prophetic reality. <coughs> Excuse me. It's going to be a prophetic reality soon. So I don't want you to fall away. I want you to hold strong to the convictions that you know to be true. Listen, many will not do that. Many at some point, like the ten virgins, many at some point will have the light, but they drift away and they grow cold. They fall asleep. Five virgins fell asleep. Five were still awake with the Holy Spirit's conviction alive inside them when the bridegroom returned. And I just paused yesterday thinking, why do people shy away from their convictions? Why do they move back or backslide from the convictions, particularly those they, they know to be true? I know that this is wrong. Why am I so at peace with it now? A few things. People abandon their known convictions because of fear of criticism. Four fears. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. And fear of loss. Let me give you an example. I've been full-time nearly 30 years. I think it's 30 years next year, something like that. But one year I had out and I worked in a car factory. It was a very rough place in Liverpool with a lot of tough guys. It was a warehouse, a unit that produced the cockpit, the, the dashboard for Jaguar cars. Very strange environment for me coming from church, I can tell you. Very difficult for me to adjust. So I got the job and I start on Monday and this is like Friday and I'm at home and I'm saying, Lord, wow, this is a bit, 
a bit difficult for me going into this scenario after all these years. How am I going to behave myself? What shall I do? Uh, and I, I'm a little bit fearful. I have fears. I go in and I say I'm a Christian. Am I going to be criticized? You can guarantee it. I was criticized. <laughs> the second fear, fear of failure. What if I go into the factory, I say I, I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor, and then I fail to live up to the standards that I've stated, and everybody's watching me. What if I fail? Is it better that I be quiet? It's a temptation right there. F uh, Number three, fear of rejection. What if everybody rejects me and I end up on my own? And number four, fear of loss. I could lose my job. I could lose my job. If I stick with my convictions, I, could, I nearly did lose my job. So I prayed. I made, a, I made a decision that I'm going to go in on the Monday and I'm going to start. And the people that I meet, I'm going to explain to them very quickly whether they ask me or not. It's important for me. I'm going to state that I'm a Christian, a born-again Christian. I'm actually a pastor, and I'm taking time out. I have to take time out for reasons I won't go into. Just a short time, and I'm going to be working here. So I started on the Monday. I tell you, by Wednesday, something like that, I think that's accurate. Every person in that factory knew that I was a born-again Christian. <laughs> and in the beginning, yes, I did face criticism. Yes, I did not live up, perhaps, as well as I could to the standards that I espoused. I got partial rejection. I nearly lost my job because they told me I had to work on Sundays or I couldn't come back. And I, I said, no, I go to church on Sundays. I'm not coming in. And they said, well, we can't keep you anymore one day, you know. But then they changed their minds immediately and came back and said, it's okay. <laughs> you don't have to work Sundays. But I, I understand the, the, the enormous fears uh, uh, that you can face by, by holding convictions. That's why the Bible speaks about courage. But the book of Revelation, a stark reminder when it talks about those going to hell at the end of time. And number one on the list is cowards. It's a shocking list, you know. It, it, it's a scary list. Cowards, people who did not hold to the courage of their own convictions. And so if you are facing fears in your workplace, fears in your neighborhood, fears in UK, uh, of, of holding to what you know to be true, join the club. We're all in this together, and, and we need to stand together, pray for one another, pray for yourself. I'll show you in a moment how the Apostle Paul asked for exactly that. So fear, fear is normal, but we're going to have to do what King David did. I love what David did. He preset his heart to face the challenges that he knew were up ahead preset not set so much but before the problem comes i'm prepared for the problem that's what the the bible is it's a it's an early warning system that's what the bible is an early warning system that you carry with you that teaches you about what's coming up and how you're going to handle it and i'm talking to you about the last days i'm talking to you about all the the spooky videos that are going around about the antichrist and donald trump and bill gates i don't know what else do not be easily shaken in these days. Put your feet on the rock, Christ Jesus. As the wind begins to blow, as the storm comes, as the floods rise, keep your feet on the solid Word of God. Preset your heart to do what is right in these last days. I'm going to move into my conclusion here this morning. But yesterday when I, I, I was preparing this, one, I was thinking, who, who has been a person of conviction? in my life, apart from my father and mother. Who has really impressed me? And Ray Belfield, he's dead now. Ray died a couple of years ago. Ray was a man of great conviction. 
And the other person that sprung into my mind is a very unusual individual. Myself and my first wife, Jeanette, we ran a uh, drop-in centre for heroin addicts and drug addicts, um, prostitutes in Dublin. Very effective ministry for about three years. There were many hundreds of heroin addicts and prostitutes used to come to us three days a week. And we would simply serve teas and coffees, we would do a bit of counselling, and then we would finish with a gospel message. And many of them came to Christ through that time. And I remember two twin sisters who were both addicted to heroin and were both prostitutes actually to fund their habit. And one day, praise the Lord, they, they, they prayed the sinner's prayer with us. They began to work on getting off heroin. They would come to our Bible studies and our services. And it, it was a good time for them. Unfortunately, sometimes it would only be one of the twins there. And I would say, you know, where's your sister? And the sister would say, well, she's fallen away. She's fallen back again. She's backslidden. She went back on heroin and now she's back out working on the streets. And uh, I remember on one occasion, we had both sisters back on their own two feet in our church, worshiping God, you know, abstaining from heroin and, and leading and trying, you know, in the strength of God, pushing into a, a, a righteous way of life. And everybody knew that they were in troubled water. Everybody knew they were struggling. And this one day, I, I, the, the room was quiet. There may be about 20 drug addicts in there and some prostitutes in there. And we were just talking and socializing. And I made a positive statement. I said, hey, everybody, did you know that so-and-so got saved? And one of these girls, uh, she stood up and she heard my testimony and she said, hallelujah, praise God for that. And one of the other drug addicts reading his paper just put his paper down and turned to her and he said, you're nothing but a junkie. You're nothing but a bleep, bleep, bleep prostitute. That's all you are. And it was such a hard thing he did, such, so hurtful, painful for her. And I, I, you know, the whole room went into silence. But what greatly impressed me and surprised me was that girl's response. She didn't get angry, you know, she didn't turn with vengeance or strike back. She was very capable of that. She didn't do that. Instead, with great conviction, she paused for a moment and she turned and she said out loud so everybody can hear it. I'm not perfect. I know I've got my problems. I've had many problems in my life. And sometimes I don't make it, you know, from Monday to Sunday. Sometimes I don't make it. But this one thing I do know, that Jesus loves me. And Jesus has accepted me. He has taken away my sin. And the force with, with, that, with which she spoke, I mean, even now it makes my hair stand on end. That woman had a conviction. That's what she had. And it took the attack. Your convictions will be challenged. It took the attack to draw out of her when I, I was so pleased for her. Because she was convicted of sin. She was convicted of the goodness and the righteousness of God. And she was convicted of the coming judgment. I just hope we are and you are and our churches are also in these last days. Be convicted that there is sin. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Be convicted that there is a devil and there is a God. Be convicted of your own responsibilities to lead your own family. Be convicted of your own convictions. May they come alive today. May the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you, you know, come into actuality so that you let him express himself 
that this is wrong and this is right. This is the way that you should walk in. I want to conclude with Ephesians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul advises, in my opinion, not just the Ephesians, but also particularly the end times church, because uh, I won't go into it in detail, but this is for, for me very much an end times warning and an end times prophecy about how we stand our ground in the face of evil days. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the, in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you will be able to withstand in the evil day, which talks about a specific day, okay, which is today in my opinion. You will be able then to stand in the evil day. Stand therefore with your girded, your waist with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet with the shoes of the gospel. And if I can just skip down to verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. Paul asks the church to pray for him and pray for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador and in change, the, in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Do you see what's happening here? The Apostle Paul, stripped and whipped five times, is now in prison. And he's asking the church, would you pray for me that God would give me the courage to hold to the convictions that I know to be true? How amazing is that? Where did Paul get such strength from? He, he, he says it in verse 18. Praying constantly for God to equip and strengthen the church with courage and faith to get through the challenges that they're going to face and also receiving prayer from the saints that he himself would be able to stand in courage as he so awesomely did. So this morning I pray for you and I pray for myself. Pray for me, pray for Mary's as we live in these days together. As we conclude, can I send you into this week? Let me speak specifically to the fathers. I want you to think about what I've said. I don't say it to hurt anybody or to embarrass anybody. It's the most difficult thing in the world to lead a home. It's hard. It's not an easy thing. Constantly challenged. So often I feel like a, a hypocrite. I feel in, in, incompetent as, as a father, a stepfather, and as a husband. But you just keep working at it. And if you keep working at it, you'll feel better in yourself because you'll know, you'll, you'll feel the pleasure of God. So I pray for you to reconsider how the convictions that you know to be true are being worked out in your life. Our children are watching us. Our neighbors are watching us. Everybody's watching us at this time. This is our day. This is our moment. Stand strong. I pray to God that he put in you the courage and the faith to believe that he can He can enable you to stand in these dark days. 
Bow your heads and pray with me as we conclude. Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to convict us of sin, of your great righteousness that you want to give to us, and of the judgment that is to come. We ask for your grace and your mercy and your strength to come upon us, to enable us to live in these days. Give us the courage and the strength to live by the convictions we know to be true. Let us not be shaken by the waves or affected by the circumstances we live in, but I pray we will rise above it all with our eyes lifted up to the hills. We keep our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, may we be mindful of you, conscious of you, and may you be our constant guide. Forgive us for in any way that we should silence you or ignore you. And we invite you to speak again and be our daily guide. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you all next week, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Have a great week. Bye-bye.